Mac Power Users, episode 729. Don't hear what we're not saying. Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks, your friend from the internet, along with my friend from the internet, Stephen Hackett. How are you doing today, Stephen? I'm good, David. How are you? I am still struggling with a cough. I got a cough on on December 18th, and now here we are, halfway, almost towards the end of January. I still have it occasionally. Don't mm. know why. Giving me the Charday voice. Uh, it's getting better. That's good, but it's getting better very slowly. But other than that, I'm doing great, man. Uh, lots of great feedback on the productivity field guide. Uh, hearing from people who who bought it and are using it to like make changes. I you know warms the cockles, man. Warms them up. Warms them right up. Yep, I love the feedback episodes. You know, we're just sitting in our respective home offices <laughs> talking into a computer. It's nice to know there's yeah. people on the other end. Yeah, it is. It is. And it is time for a feedback episode. We've got a lot of feedback to cover. Uh, we've got a few updates though. First. Yeah, yeah, I just had a little thing that I wanted to mention. Uh, I wrote a blog post over on 512 this week, uh, just uh, sharing the news that I have joined David Smith's company. David, of course, underscore uh, the guy behind Widget Smith, Pedometer Plus Plus, Sleep Plus Plus. He's been on the show several times over the years. Uh, it's not changing anything I do on my shows or at 512 Pixels. I'm taking time elsewhere to do this. Uh, but I felt it was important to disclose it because we talk about the Apple ecosystem and now I am not only a commentator in that system, but now also working with a third-party developer. Kind of fun, uh, but also kind of messy. So I just wanted to disclose that. You can read that blog post if you want to know more, but it is part of sort of uh, a theme of mine for this year to to be making decisions not only for the, the near future, but the far future. And this is part of that. And uh, really excited to be working on that. And uh, yeah, just wanted to... Let everybody know. You know, I think you and I both uh, are on the side of over-disclosure, right? Like we've talked about, you know, you do a bunch of yeah. uh, freelance work for developers w- as well. So uh, I think it's important that we're upfront about that sort of thing. Yeah. And honestly, I can't think of a better person to work with. Uh, oh, I know. He's the best. D- David Smith, he's a little intimidating to me, not in the way you would think. Like if you meet him, he's super friendly and accessible. But he's got it together so well mm-hmm. that, like, you just can't help but just feel like, man, I need to be more like that guy when you meet him. He's also jacked. Like, he's he's in very good shape. That's also sort of intimidating. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. But I, I think you're uh, – what a great partnership, and I can't wait to see what you do with David. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, and then today on More Power Users, we got some new updates in software, and Steve and I are going to dig deep on that. So uh, More Power Users is the extended ad-free version of the show. So you want to check that out. So let's get uh, right into it, and we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, Apple Care. That was our episode on uh, 728, so last week. First, can I just say the feedback on this was great, and it's like, I didn't know if how well an Apple Care episode would land, and people <laughs> loved it. <laughs> and and the credit goes to Stephen on this one. He did so much of the research, and uh, and thanks, Stephen. I, I think that was a great episode. Great little bottle for Mac Power users. Yeah, I think so. Uh, there were a couple things that just didn't make that episode, uh, but I knew we had a feedback episode the next week, so I figured we would have them here. Uh, the yeah. first is there's a great one pager about Apple Care over on Mac Rumors. That team does such a great job with these like product pages where you're like, I want to know everything about the Mac Mini. Like, not only should I buy one now, but like what's some of the history, what are some features? 
Uh, and they have one about Apple Care. So if you kind of want one place to go look, uh, I've got that in the show notes this week. But one thing we didn't really talk about, we sort of bounced off of it and didn't make it back to it, was the self-service repair program. So this is the thing where if you have a broken iPhone screen or something wrong with your laptop, you can get the user manual parts and tools uh, from Apple to do that repair yourself. So like last week, there's a bunch of links to this stuff in the show notes. It's not for every repair on every device. There are uh, some things you can do and some things you can't. My favorite thing about this, honestly, is the, the the repair manuals that we've gotten out of this. Because you can now like go and like really see how these things uh, how these things are are put together. And you start with the manual and then you order your parts. There was a big thing when this launched about the self-service repair store not really looking like an Apple website. And it's not. Uh, it's it's through a uh, a partner that Apple uses and has used for a long time. Uh, this is nothing really new when it comes to Apple repair. Like if you send your laptop off to have the screen repaired, not at an Apple store, it's not going to an Apple repair depot. It's going to a company like Flextronics or CTS or others that, do those repairs on behalf of Apple. So it's kind of the same thing here. You're actually interfacing with a third-party company. But it's Apple parts, Apple repair manuals, Apple tools. And oh boy, are there tools. Uh, there's this this video that our, our friend Quinn did over on Snazzy Labs um, like a year ago or something when he repaired an iPhone. And it's... 31 minutes and it's incredible because you have all these fixtures and like you put your phone in this thing and it puts the right amount of pressure on the adhesive and it heats it up to a very specific temperature. And really the, the what I take away from this is most of these repairs are not for the faint of heart. Like you really have to be minded in this way, I think, to, to be willing to take this on. And most of the time it's not any cheaper or faster than having it repaired by a technician in an Apple store or at an Apple authorized service provider, but it's an important thing. And I'm glad Apple has this. I'm glad they have the parts available to consumers. And as they introduce new devices, they are enrolled in this program. Not always immediately. Sometimes it takes a little while, uh, but they're committed to this. And I think that's, that's very exciting. You know, there's, there's like two takes on the repair program because of what you were just describing. It's like, it's like some people are like, wow, this almost feels punitive. Like I want to repair my own iPhone and I need seven tools and they're going to send me this crate of tools and I need to buy all these parts and it's going to take all this time. And this is a way as Apple saying, well, you want it, you want a right to repair. Here you go. You know? And, and I think that's the wrong take. I honestly think that this is how they do the repairs. I think, um, their Apple electronics are very delicate and small and, Look at an iPhone, all the stuff crammed into that thing. It takes important tools to do the job right. And and you're just going to, if you want to do it yourself, you've got to use the tools. So I, I don't know, maybe I'm an apologist, but I feel like, no, this is how they do it. So if you want to do it yourself and they've, they're giving you access to the tools, the manuals, the parts, you can. But like you said, it's it's not necessarily the best way forward for most people. Yeah. Like, Stephen, you as a former genius... Something goes wrong with your phone. 
what is your gut? Is it going to be like, well, I'm going to get the tools and do it myself, or I'm going to send it out? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna let Apple handle it. I'm gonna let them yeah. uh, do it in store or, or do the uh, express replacement or whatever. So, anyways, it's yeah. I, I think both of those takes are fine. Like, I, I, you know, more than one thing could be true yeah. at once on the internet. I promise. Yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, like the whole thing is here because of of right to repair regulation, and that is that has been a good movement in consumer technology, and it's yeah. been uh, it's been exciting. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm in favor of it. I'm, I think we should be able to take our stuff apart and do what we want. You paid for it. It's your thing. But the the thing they can't ship you in the box is the expertise. And like, even if they give you the manuals and the tools and everything, when you do it day in and day out, you know all the little things, right? Yeah. I mean, I experience all this time. Like even just like plumbing. Like I do, I'm I'm not a very good plumber. Every time I need to do plumbing around the house, I have to watch a bunch of videos and you know, and it's always like, I always learn something that someone who did this every day would just know naturally. Right. But I have to get that knowledge the hard way. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this, this is that times 10. So be careful if you decide to do it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really well said. I mean, when you do this for a living, like there's all these, not necessarily shortcuts, but there's all these like little things that a repair manual just can't tell you But yeah, that, I think they do a good job. Like I've looked through the manuals. They are very in depth and the, the components, the parts and stuff they send you, right? Like at least with the iPhone repair, like you're putting your machine in a thing and like the, the machine does the thing, but you know, they are fragile and I would not do this as your first entry into self repair, but it's cool that it's there. And, uh, do you think it's going to come to the vision pro? <laughs> do you think you can self repair a vision pro in the future? I think they want to do it for everything, but yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how, what kind of tools would you need for that? Right. <laughs> I don't know, man, but the, the, the prices they've announced are, are pretty wild. Yeah. Apple care is looking pretty good, but we're, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Hey, do you know what a basin wrench is? Basin wrench is plumbing thing. Sounds yeah. Like it's a plumbing. Thing. It's a special tool. Like when you've got a, uh, I had to replace the faucet you know, the, there's a nut right behind the sink. Yeah. I okay. Like, sure. Spent like two hours trying to like figure out how to loosen that nut. And then I went on YouTube and did one search and found out that there's a tool of course, that you can get at Home Depot for $10 that does it in five seconds. It's like, that's the kind of thing you bump into when you try to replace stuff on your iPhone. You just don't know until you get in there. Yeah. One last thing on the self-repair program. As part of this, Apple has opened up their Apple Diagnostics troubleshooting tools. So we mentioned this last time where... You go into a store and they can like plug your laptop in or put your phone on their network and run diagnostics. That's also been available for online support for a while, but now customers basically just have access to it. So if you have something going on, you can run these diagnostics and it will attempt to tell you what component may be having an issue. So you're not just uh, blindly ordering parts from the self-repair store. We used to have this um, this thing we would talk about back in my genius days about machine gunning a problem. And basically that meant is I don't know what's wrong with it, so I'm just going to throw all the parts at it. And that is not a good repair strategy. It's not good for no. the technician or the store. It's not good for the customer. It's not good for Apple. You're spending time and money on things that, that aren't needed. And back in my day, these diagnos- diagnostics, they had very basic ones, but not at all like what they have now. 
And so this gives you um, clues as to as to what's what's going on. And so it's another component of this whole self repair movement. Yeah, but see, this is the kind of thing that like lights me up. It's like, yeah, you mean so I could run my own diagnostic before I go in the Apple Store, so I don't go in there blind, and yeah. I can say, yeah, I ran the test. This is the thing that was going wrong. Feel free to confirm, but you know, I think this is what's going on. I, I like, I love that kind of knowledge. So this is the kind of thing I'm all over. If mm-hmm. we have a problem with a phone, I would definitely run it through this. So we mentioned the Vision Pro. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Apple. So we, we learned about that since we recorded the show. Uh, we got a lot more details on Apple Care and, and Vision Pro. Yeah, I've got a link to a support page there. So the Apple Care Plus costs we talked about in more power users. It's a $499 one-time cost or $24.99 a month. Here, so there's two repairs available now for the for the Apple Vision Pro. The first is if you crack the cover glass. So say that you drop your headset and that cover, that outside glass cracks. With Apple Care, there's a $299 incident support fee. And without Apple Care, it's $799. So if you've done the math fast enough, if you crack the cover glass, it's basically the same cost as Apple Care Plus. So $798 for Apple Care coverage plus deductible or $799 without. So it's basically what is a dollar amongst friends when you've already paid for a Vision Pro, right? Yeah, yeah. The more in, the more interesting number is what Apple calls I'm doing air quotes, other damage with Apple Care, again a $299 deductible or, or incident fee. Without Apple Care, $2,399. So I guess if you break the inside screens or you drop it and mangle the aluminum frame or there's water damage, you're on the hook for 2400 bucks. That's a lot of money. Yeah, that, that is a lot of money. And, you know, this thing, in fairness, does not have a butterfly keyboard, so that's good. But who knows what's wrong with this thing, right? It's the first time they've ever made it. And do they even know what's going to happen when thousands of people start strapping them to their heads? So uh, this is a case where I, I went ahead and bought Apple Care. I did not buy the one-time $500 one. I just couldn't, you mm-hmm. know. But I did buy the $25 a month Apple Care. And let's just see how things go for the first few months, right? Uh, assuming I keep it... Um, you know, if we're not hearing about a lot of reliability problems, maybe I'll stop paying it at some point. I know with mine, I think it's highly unlikely to get much damage because it's going to be used in one location. I'm not going to be like wearing it on airplanes and stuff and carrying it around. So, so, uh, but you know, those repairs are quite expensive. Yeah. Yeah. I bought the hard travel case, but I really don't expect to be traveling with this thing anytime soon. I think it'll be something I use in my office, and then it goes back in the case on the bookshelf <laughs> very carefully. Yeah. Uh, but now we know. Now we didn't have this information, and now we do. And that's good because it it does inf- help inform decisions. Um, and as we talked about uh, on the AppleCare episode, you can add this after the fact. And so I may I may get the fear put in me and may, I may do the monthly one for a while, but uh, we will... Yeah, we'll see. This is a new product. I'm very curious to see how they hold up in the real world. I already have the designated Vision uh, Vision Pro drawer where oh, it will okay. be stored. 
Yeah, so it's it's all good. Oh, I wonder if there's a Gridfinity bin for a Vision Pro yet. No, no see, this wouldn't make sense on Gridfinity because it's too big. Gridfinity, like it gets a certain size, Gridfinity doesn't work anymore. But but I will say Gridfinity continues to become a source of joy and love in my life. Same. I love it. Yeah. Maybe we'll do one day for more power users, just a photo shoot of our Gridfinity. Like, you know, why not? That would be fun. That would be fun. So much Gridfinity. I've got a printing right now. <laughs> See, my, my printer's in my office, so I can't run it when I uh, record, but I do have some stuff queued up for later. My wife gave me permission to do one of the kitchen drawers, and I, uh, so I, I want to do it perfect. I want to do it so good that she's like, oh, I want all of them done this way. So I, I, have, a, I have a project. Uh, either way, Apple Care, lots of, lots of feedback on it. I um, heard from a lot of people saying that they're one or the other. Like, I always buy it or I never buy it. Yeah. Um, a lot of people telling us how they've kept track of how much money they've saved over the years. And they feel like, you know, I've saved enough to buy a brand new MacBook pro and that's cool, but I, I don't really get into keeping score on Apple care. It's just, you know, there's really not a wrong answer here. If you want the coverage, get it. Um, just give some thought to how you're using the product. Like to me, the Macs that stay on the desk, the vision pro that stays in the drawer, stuff like that. I'm less likely to buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also on the flip side, the repair costs matter. Like the iPhone, when the iPhone was glass on both sides, and like if you broke the back glass, it was a lo- it was really expensive to fix it. Then I was more likely to buy it then. So you know, make your own grown up decisions. You're yeah. good. Yeah. W- one last thing, uh, we talked about how long does the monthly plan last? Right. If you, if you pay monthly, yeah. how long can you do it? And I got some feedback from a couple of former geniuses and technician people. And basically, it seems like until Apple either cancels it or when it is vintage. And it seems like, I I didn't verify this, but the back of the napkin math works out where the monthly plan is, that's still relatively a new thing. And it may be that nothing has actually hit vintage yet that you can pay for monthly. So it may still be a little bit unknown but i know we had talked about that and kind of left it open-ended but it seems like you can run it uh, at least until it's vintage you know on that note though in general i favor the monthly over the the flat fee payments because i just you just never know like you uh you may at some point decide um like if you get a device and you sell it after a year or you break it after a year you can get a you can get a a rebate from apple but it's just a pain in the neck but um i just like the idea of kind of like pay as you go even if it costs a little bit more. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by ZocDoc. Find the right doctor right now with ZocDoc. Sign up for free at ZocDoc.com MPU. We all know there are things in life you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there should be no compromise. So don't go back to that doctor you don't feel really listens just because they're available right now and take your insurance. This is where ZocDoc comes in. ZocDoc is the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. And 
These docs all have verified reviews from actual real patients. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat basically any condition you're searching for. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is just between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. We are big fans of ZocDoc at the Sparks House. We had some terrible experiences before that, trying to get new doctors where you would get there and they were kind of, uh, let's say, impersonal, or you would get on the phone and wait for 30 minutes just to find out that they don't take your insurance, even though the little booklet the insurance company sent you had their name in it. It was just always madness every time we needed a new doctor, and now it's just easy. And the ratings are critical. Why is it I can get thousands of ratings on a taco place, but there aren't ratings on doctors? Well, ZocDoc fixes that. And like I said, we're fans. We use it all the time. If you need a new doctor, you need ZocDoc. So go to ZocDoc.com MPU and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc.com MPU. Once again, ZocDoc.com slash MPU, and our thanks to ZocDoc for sponsoring the Mac Power Users and all of Relay FM. So we wanted, we wanted to do a little task management check-in because OmniFocus 4 is now out uh, across the Mac and iPhone, iPad, and Apple Watch, and the web. Um, this entered public test flight in 2021, I believe, and they went big into SwiftUI does seem to have slowed them down quite a bit. Uh, but you are the OmniFocus expert. So w- what's your take on that and how is OmniFocus 4? Yeah, I wanted to cover today. I don't think it needs a full show, but uh, we've done a lot of coverage on OmniFocus in the past. I mean, uh, for those that haven't kept up with the the saga, I've been a fan of OmniFocus since before it existed. I used, just used Kinkless GTD, which was kind of like the original OmniFocus from Omni. And, uh, the, you know, this was the big move. Like, uh, they decided to go all in with Swift UI, as Stephen mentioned. Swift UI, if you don't know, is kind of the underpinnings of Apple's new programming language. And the idea is that if you write something in Swift UI, it works easily across all Apple platforms. And there's a lot of them now. And, you know, back in the day, you wrote a Mac app and that was it. But then there's the iPhone and the watch and the iPad and now the Vision Pro. And people wanted a way to not have to write an app four times. So the idea between Swift UI is that you come up with an app and you can deploy it to different platforms. And there, there is still some work involved, but it's, it's nothing compared to what it used to be. But nobody had ever, to my knowledge, and I was looking into this, I couldn't find another example, written an app to the sophistication of OmniFocus in Swift UI entirely, you know, as a Swift UI project. Um, the people at Omni Group, uh, Ken Case and, and his group of intrepid programmers, are some of the most experienced programmers on the Mac. I mean, they Omni Group was writing apps for Next before they wrote apps for, for Apple. So uh, for uh, those folks that don't know, Next was Steve Jobs' company after he left Apple. Omni Group started as a Next developer. So when all the next people came back to Apple with Steve. Omni Group was already very 
adept at writing the apps in, in you know, the next language. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so they've been ahead of the curve the whole time. So it makes perfect sense that, you know, the Omni group would be probably the first one to dive down this rabbit hole, but it did take them longer than they wanted. And, uh, I, you know, I know those guys, but I don't talk to them about it. This isn't like insider knowledge, but I mean, it's clear you start a beta in 2021, the ship thing doesn't ship until early 2024, or I guess the end of 2023, that's too long. They, you know, they would have liked to get it out earlier, but I think what happened is along the way they found the rough spots, you know, and I'm sure there was a bat phone between Apple and Omni group and a lot Swift got a lot better because of this, but now we're outside the back end of it. And, and, you know, during this extended beta, I heard from a lot of people, cause I do talk about OmniFocus a lot. I use it. A lot of people have said, you know, I'm tired of waiting for this thing. I'm going to go try something else. I even at one point went and said, well, you know, no, I'm no longer a lawyer. Is there a better solution for me? And so I started experimenting around the web and we've talked about this a little bit on the show, but there's been several, you know, updates in task management technology. When OmniFocus first showed up, really, it was the only app of any substance, um, in, in my opinion, back in the day. Oh, yeah. De- I mean, it's definitely true. Yeah. It was terrible back then. I mean, there weren't, there just weren't very good apps to manage tasks. And um, it, since then, we've got things like Things. Apple Reminders has gotten increasingly better, as we've covered on the show. Um, and there's been a whole explosion of what I call web-based task management services like a lot of these things like the idea of um of blocking time is super powerful I mean I talk about it in productivity field guide and uh, Cal Newport wrote deep work about it and like everybody who tries this concept of saying I'm going to make an appointment with myself for two hours to do this really important thing and then suddenly the important things start getting done um it's it's a very empowering practice so anybody that tries it sees success and so now there's all these uh i'm gonna use air quotes revolutionary web services that help you become more productive and what they do is they make a calendar and a task manager and then you write the task down you push a button and it turns into a calendar block and they're like oh this is amazing i'm gonna pay a 30 dollar a month subscription for this (laughs) you know because because it's not that the app is great it's that the concept is great and this is how they were introduced to it but but you could always do that with these other apps. But so, so I went on a little journey, uh, testing out a bunch of them, trying to make them work for me. Um, uh, my, my opinion and, and, you know, everybody's opinion is different. Um, is I felt like the, the calendar plus task web services are overrated and, and I like Mac apps, you know, I like apps that, um, that work nice and behave nicely on the Mac. So th- they, those didn't really land for me and they felt a little overpriced for what they were delivering. and, and I was coming at this from the approach of somebody who's used OmniFocus for a long time. And I have all this knowledge of that app, but I also am very familiar with its feature set and that not many people go to the extent Omni Group does. So I was missing some of those features. And then I went over and, and spent uh, about a month and a half in Things. And man, Things is a pretty app. It's so pretty. It and really I is. Think, <laughs> yeah, for a lot of people, and I was tempted to use that, but there there were some features missing that I didn't really have. and. And, um, and I just wasn't sure. And the the problem with things for me was that reminders is looking over its shoulder. Um, reminders is, I feel like getting close to things. Yeah. Um, and, and I, you and I know you and I talked about this cause I spent a bunch of time looking at reminders is like, what if I just used reminders and 
uh, being one of the nice things about Max Berkey Labs is I get a lot of feedback from people who are trying these things too. And there's a significant number of people in the labs who have used all these fancy apps over the years, but now they just use reminders and they're super happy. And I could see that because there's a lot of my workflow that just ports straight into reminders, but then there's a lot that doesn't. Reminders is really good at Siri capture, like, you know, driving down, you know, like I always have the thing where I'm driving down the road and I think of something I want to do. And like, how do you capture that while you're driving? Well, you just hit the the Siri button and say, save such and such to my reminders list. But OmniFocus has a feature that slurps that out for you. So I, I've always had the benefit of it, you know, but, but with reminders, you can save it, say like, I want to buy, I want to buy fishing wire. Well, buy fish, add buy fishing wire to my sporting goods store list, you know, and it, it puts it right in the right list. You don't even have to do any management of it. So I think there's some things reminders excels at some things. It's not so good. It doesn't have deferred dates. It's, it's really kind of clunky for capture. And so there's some things I don't like about it, but I I tried that and really tried to make it work. And then I went back to OmniFocus and I felt like, you know, putting on a really comfortable pair of shoes again, and maybe I'm, I'm, um, biased because of all my experience with the app, but it really is a great app. And I feel like, uh, despite the fact that it took them so long to get this out, that was for good reason, you know? And what we have now is the fourth version of OmniFocus, which is fully built in Swift UI. And you've got complete feature parity. You've got essentially UI parity. So anything you want to do in OmniFocus, you can do in any version of it. Um, now they've got this platform that they can add new features to in the feature in the future. And I don't think we're ever going to have a situation where they can, they add a new feature and it doesn't show up everywhere all at once because of this swift UI basis. And yeah, I mean, that's really the the promise of that technology that you can implement something one place and you may have to tweak it for the other platforms but you're not starting at zero when you move to the other platforms. And I think for something in particular, like a task manager, it's actually really important because people, at least if they work like you and I do, I think move really fluidly between their devices with their tasks. And so, yeah, I think, I think that's a promise that Swift UI can definitely make. Yeah. And one of my favorite ways to process tasks is I don't deal with them on my Mac is, I uh, I sit in my little comfy chair in the morning. I dictate a few day one entries. I open OmniFocus. I sort my day, and then I get on with it. And like that's great because everything works there. Like they haven't made an announcement yet. I don't know anything from the inside. I haven't asked them about it, but I'll be shocked if OmniFocus isn't on Vision Pro shortly. I mean, they've already got OmniPlan on Vision Pro. So yeah, I saw that. Has, has hasn't even shipped yet. So you know, and that's because again, Swift UI and. And the other thing about OmniFocus that that made me realize, yeah, this is where I belong, is the automation story. So Sal Segoyan left Apple, and you know, Apple makes all sorts of mistakes. And I feel like letting Sal get out the door was a mistake. You know, this guy is in terms of automation, I don't think there's anybody smarter in the business. And OmniFocus, he started working with OmniFocus. So Sal wrote in and and the Omni Group too. They wrote like a variant of JavaScript that you can script their apps. But because it's JavaScript, it works everywhere. You know, it used to be you'd write an Apple script and you could automate the app on your Mac, but it wouldn't work on the iPhone. No, they've written a, a programming language to to script 
their apps that works on all platforms. You write it, you run it, it shows up on everything. And then they set Sal loose on it. And if you go to omni slash automation.com, I think there's 105 different automations or features you can add to the application with the scripts he's written, you know, like you want it to do this thing with deferred. It's like, I wanted it to be able to create an easy link back to a task after I create it. They just added that and and you just click a button, you add the JavaScript applet to it, and then you just added a feature to the app. I mean, there's no other app out there where you've got 105 additional features you can add to it if you want. And then just for giggles, Sal wrote an entirely voice controlled back into it, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, like it's literally, <laughs> you just yeah, you just talk to it and it adds tasks, or you say, "Hello, OmniFocus. What is um what's important for me today?" You know, and suddenly it's like you've got you know Jarvis talking to you about your tasks, and so I just overall, it's like you know, I don't have a life as complicated as I used to, but I still like a task management system that will bend to my will, and this is the one. So, so that's my very long story. People have been asking me, are you still using it? And what all? No, I, I totally still use it. I, I didn't even mention at one point I tried to do an experiment to run the whole thing out of Obsidian. I love Obsidian, but the problem with Obsidian sometimes is you try to make it do a few too many things. Mm-hmm. And to me, task management is is one of those. And for other people, that may not be the case, but for me it is. I, I, I want something where I can pull my phone out of my pocket and have easy access to it and like I can look at OmniFocus at any point, despite the fact I've got all these projects I work on collaboratively with different people and know exactly what my active projects are and where they stand. And that's all I want. So um, that was a long journey to say, yeah, good on OmniFocus. I'm glad they got it. I guess full disclosure, they asked me to make a couple promo videos for it. So I did. I don't even know they're on the internet. <laughs> I haven't billed them for it yet. So I haven't been paid, <laughs> but the, uh, I'll get to that. Um, but the, uh, yeah, I made a couple short videos for them about it, but, but I, it, it really was, um, an attempt by me to replace it. I, I wanted to see if I could do something else. I don't like being the OmniFocus guy. I'm Max Sparky. I, I like yeah. to try all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, it's just, it's the app that does the job for me. I've been using it since its launch and I have yet to be convinced otherwise. Maybe someday somebody will come up with something. I was thinking with the emergence of AI, there's room out there to really innovate with task management where AI could generate the list for you. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the product is, but I feel like there's room for something to just totally change the game. And if it does, I will be there as soon as it's available. But this is still the one for me. It's such a testament to, to that team to, to take up an app that has been around for so long. And so many people are so deeply integrated into it. Like even if they never touch the Omni automation, there's so many features in OmniFocus that people really do depend on. And it's no easy task, I think, to move those, not only just to a new version of the app to rev it with new features, but to this new platform of Swift and Swift UI. Uh, that is a big task. And yeah, while I've not been a daily OmniFocus user in a long time, I have been playing with it in preparation for this episode. And I was kind of in and out of the beta, kind of checking in on it. And it both felt new, but also incredibly familiar at the same time. And I think that's really high praise for a tool like this, that that people build their lives and jobs out of. Yeah, I mean, it is a team of highly experienced craftsmen, you know. They, you know, the, the guys at Omni Group and gals, they, you know, they don't, 
you know, they don't do a lot of blog posts and things, but they're people who are like very good at the craft of making applications with an Apple bent to them, you know, and uh, they just do a great job. I, it just reminds me of how I like a lot of their applications and, and what they do. But either way, congratulations, Omni Group. I, I'm not trying to sell you on OmniFocus. Check it out if you're interested. If you've got a to-do system that's working for you, then go for it. In fact, Stephen, you're not using OmniFocus. What are you using these days? Yeah, so I'm I am in Todoist. Uh, you know, every summer I use reminders for a while, and then I find the thing that that takes me back to Todoist. Uh, and as we've spoken about before, the thing for me really is uh, reminders interface, especially on the Mac is just too clunky for dealing with a lot of tasks quickly. You're doing a lot of clicking and menus and submenus in the inspector pane. And to do this, you can do basically all of that with natural language. Uh, and it doesn't hurt that my wife is a big to doist fan. And we really depend on a couple of shared lists. And I didn't want to have those split up. So I'm, I'm quite happy with to doist uh, on my home screen. Yeah, I kept reminders shared lists with Daisy and a couple other people. I've got some shared lists. So that for that, reminders is still working. I'll tell you one thing I really miss uh, that I had with reminders, I wish OmniFocus had, was the Kanban view of projects. Yeah. And the reminders implementation isn't great. The way they do it is, I mean, OmniFocus could do it so much better. But I'm sure, you know, hopefully it's on their list. But the idea of setting up all your projects and seeing them on a Kanban view that's for a visual person like me, that really works. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I had kind of cobbled something together in reminders, but honestly it, I had to make a template project and it was just very clunky the way I was doing it. And if, if, if reminders had done that more elegantly, maybe it would have pulled me a little bit more towards reminders, but it, it's, it's not great implementation. Um, but the, uh, that it is the first time I've missed a feature from reminders. Task management, man, it's tough. It is tough. And, you know, we talk a lot about the PKM world. Like there's just a, a rich ecosystem of notes apps. But the same yeah. really is true for task managers. Like there is something out there for everyone. And that's fantastic. And it's great that Apple's a serious contender. It makes all these other tools better. And it it really is a, sort of an embarrassment of riches right now. That That's fantastic. Yeah, the, the holy trinity of productivity. You need a, a good calendar app, a good notes app, and a good task app. And if you can figure out what those three are, you're off to the races. This episode of MPU is brought to you by Squarespace. It's a new year, and your business or project or hobby, it deserves a new website to go along with the new year. And Squarespace is the place to go for that. You can build a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything all in Squarespace. They have everything you need all in one place. Squarespace's next-generation website design system is called Fluid Engine, and it's awesome. You start with a best-in-class template and customize every design detail with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop and mobile. You can stretch your imagination online with Fluid Engine, And it's built in and ready to go on any Squarespace site. And you can have a store. You can sell physical and digital products. They have all the tools you need. Plus, your customers get flexible payment options. You can make checkout seamless for your customers with these powerful payment tools. Accept credit cards, PayPal, and Apple Pay. And offer customers 
the option to buy now and pay later with Afterpay and Clearpay. I love bidding on Squarespace because it really is easy to take something that you have pictured in your mind and build it. The Fluid Engine is awesome. You can drag images in, change all the colors and typefaces. And if you want to go a little bit deeper, like I often do, you can even have your own custom CSS and you can have uh, code that's inserted into the page to do your own thing. But you don't have to. That's the beauty of Squarespace. Those tools are there for you if you need them. But the stuff that they give you out of the box with Fluid Engine is so good, you may not even need it. So go to squarespace.com slash MPU for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash MPU and use the code MPU to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. That's squarespace.com slash MPU and the code MPU for 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. Steven, we got some feedback. Uh, Matt wrote in, I use a continuous glucose monitor. The app is bad and will not write good, uh, will not write blood glucose values to Apple Health. So I created a shortcut triggered by the action button that screenshots the current screen, converts the screenshot to text, and then uses regex to find the current blood glucose value and writes it to Apple Health. Damn. That's cool. Matt. Yeah. Wow. Good. That's really cool. Yeah, I, this um, sent me down a little bit of a rabbit hole of just looking at the health support in shortcuts. And there's really a lot of stuff in there. You can log all sorts of data via shortcuts into the Apple Health app. I, I could see a world where like, yeah, the action button is actually a great use for this. Um, I remember when the Apple Watch Ultra first came out with its action button, the first time we had seen that. And a lot of people were experimenting with this of, you know, obviously tying a shortcut to the action button is, is already very cool, but using it as a data logger for health is uh, very clever. And uh, when I read this, I thought it was really interesting. It's also interesting because Apple's been rumored to be playing or experimenting in the blood glucose monitoring space forever. Like from the very early days of the Apple Watch, people have talked about Apple's experimentation here and their research there and you know i don't know where that stands but i i do know uh you know personal friends of mine who this is important to them and they're all for technology getting better in this space i mean you can do a lot of really nice monitoring now but using shortcuts to do it is great because a lot of those apps are bad a lot of the integrations are kind of busted if they exist at all and so being able to take data from the real world and log into Apple Health, so you have that history, right? So you can go to your doctor and be like, look, here are my numbers for the last six months or whatever. That's important stuff. And I think, I've said this before, I think some of Apple's most important work is happening in the health space. And so to see Matt kind of build on that was, was pretty neat. Yeah, and I think blood glucose is the, like, that right now is the, you know, is the, arc of the covenant of this stuff i mean everybody wants that so badly they want it on the watch so many people need the data if you could make it simple auto logging you are going to sell so many apple watches i i think apple is very aware of how important it is to crack that nut um the other thing is just the to shout out to matt for this automation um so he's taking a screenshot which but then he converts it to text which is something you do in shortcuts then he uses regex to find the blood glucose level. This is all stuff you can do in shortcuts. Now, if you had told me 
a few years ago that these are things you could do with shortcuts actions, I would have not believed you. And uh, that's also a testament to the shortcuts team that has done a great job of adding more and more powerful automation behind the scenes that everybody can use. Steven, have you spent any time with regex? Have you ever tried to play with that? Every time I've touched it, it's, it's uh, blown up in my face. So uh, I don't, I've done a little bit of it and I can, I know just enough to kind of like piece something together through a bunch of web searches, but I'm no means an expert. Yeah. So regex, if you're not familiar, it's like a text automation where it looks at text for patterns of text, like a a simple example. um, Like I wrote a regex pattern for one of the field guides about like, if I make a memo and at the bottom it says CC colon, look for the names after that and then send emails to those people. Cause then you can, you can look for something in the document and then it knows who it's going to. It's very computery technical where if you don't say the right words or if you don't put the right characters in the right order, it doesn't work. The good news is Steven. And, and I, I, I write, I, as I say this, Rosemary Orchard is banging her head against the wall somewhere, but AI is actually really good at writing regex. <laughs> <laughs> I, I and, bet it uh, is. You know, so if you've always been afraid of regex, like if you're in Matt's shoes and you're like, ah, how do I write this regex routine? Uh, you can always do a Google search and find a forum and ask a question. And a lot of times people will help you. But also AI is a pretty good starting place. Uh, and I've done a couple regex uh, formulas recently where I had AI take the first crack at it. One time it got it right. Two times it didn't, but it got me close enough that I could get it right. Um, so, uh, don't forget about that. You know, um, one, you know, there are things that AI is good at, uh, writing regex is one of them. Janine wrote in, my husband refuses to back up his Mac. What do I do? (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, I, uh, I I like the email and it made me laugh because the way she wrote it was more colorful and Mm -hmm. I'm not going to read it because I don't want to get in trouble, but, but, uh, okay. The, the, (laughs) Stephen wrote in the first answer, you need to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. That's it. That's it. Don't yeah. get in a, don't get in an argument with your spouse. Okay. We're all, we're all nerds here. You're listening to Mac power users. Just accept, accept who we are. Our spouses will rarely understand the importance of backup. Mine is the same way. I went on my wife's computer recently and it said something like it has been 500 days since you backed up and i'm like what is going on here Mm -hmm. and so i tracked down her uh her backup drive and i put it in my drawer and i have an omnifocus task every month that says backup daisy's computer she doesn't even know it she just doesn't know it but that that warning went away for her one day she has no idea what's going on but you know she goes to work her laptop's here once a month i pull her laptop out i connect it to the drive and back it up. So, so don't fight with your husband over this, Janine. It's not worth it. Uh, just, just figure out a way to do it. Um, the other thing I would do if it really matters is just set up backblaze. You know, if you, if, mm-hmm. it, if he has a lot of important data, like if what he's doing is important work and if losing two weeks of data is bad, cause you know, you're not going to remember to back up his computer for him every day. Um, I would just put backblaze on. You don't even necessarily have to tell him. Uh, just install Backblaze. What is it now? About sixty bucks a year. I, I pay like that, it, yeah. but I don't. Yeah, um, and it is always backed up, and your marriage will be healthy for it. And yes, you don't have to bug them, and everything works. And I would add to that: if you're sending kids to college, Backblaze. Yes. Just just buy a Backblaze account, put it on their computer. Go ahead and tell them I'm doing this for you, but you know, don't be a dummy with your computer. But 
you know, this is why this little icon shows up in your menu bar and don't turn it off. And, um, and, uh, but I, I think the advice we would both give is don't try and teach him how to do it or convince him to do it. Cause he's not going to do it. The other thing I would, I would add in is if it's a notebook, like, and you have a Mac mini or something, you could set up remote time machine. Um, I wrote a blog post on how to do that. I'll put in the show notes, but there are options. Um, so when I, when this came in, I just quietly went to my wife's MacBook Pro and opened it and had it been backed up since December. And so I just, I yeah. plugged in her, yeah. uh, her time machine drive. I do have remote time machine running for the kids notebooks because it's not very much data, but she has like a terabyte of stuff on her MacBook Pro. And so doing it direct attached SSD is still the best thing. And so I just, uh, I now have one of those tasks like once a month, like, Hey, just go. You know, when she's out of the house one day, just go. Yeah, don't do it when she's around. Don't, don't do even it. let her know what's happening. Just, just take, care, take of care of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. The the Backblaze, uh, I think, is is great advice, especially uh, kids going off to college. You know, I, I'm i so fanatical about data backup because I lost a bunch of data in college. And that was before the days of, it was before the days of Time Machine, definitely before the days where like online backup was a reasonable thing to do. You could like yeah. throw some Word documents in your iDisk, but you weren't backing up everything. And yeah, yeah I I lost data and I I vowed then and there. It was like a defining moment in my life. Like in a Disney movie, there would have been swelling music behind me. Yeah, it was like your I want song. Yeah, yeah. Like I rose <laughs> from the flame. I was like, I will not lose data again. And I haven't since because I take yeah. this really seriously. But yeah, lots of good options. But yeah, just 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 take care of it. Yeah, you, you can't convince them. Just, just take care of it. And honestly, it won't take that much of your time to just do it for him. Mark wrote in, is iCloud good enough for me to drop my Dropbox account? The question that never ends. We get this question like all the time. All the time. Where are you on this? Because I know you have done much more in iCloud Drive than I have. It depends. You know, it's really <laughs> simple. I mean, really, you know, it depends what you're doing with Dropbox. Like if you've got a Dropbox account and you're working with people on multiple platforms and you know you need that dropbox feature set then no it's not you know i mean apple is not making a dropbox clone icloud is different so you need to look at how you're using them um if you're just using dropbox to store data and you're not doing a lot of sharing you probably could just switch to icloud uh but if you're using the the additional dropbox features then you shouldn't if you need more control, then you should stick with Dropbox because iCloud doesn't give you as much control. Um, it, it just it just depends, you know. And and so uh, I wrote Mark afterwards, and he is is retired. He's got a bunch of data. He doesn't do a lot of collaboration. And I told him I think you probably would be fine with iCloud. Um, yeah. But you know because it's what he's doing. Um, but if you're like I said. Back when I was practicing law, I always had Dropbox because I had to share documents with expert witnesses. I'm not going to tell them to try and get into my iCloud shared link, and like I'm not even going to like go there, right? Yeah. You know, and so it just depends what you do. But I do think if you've got the basic needs, iCloud is reliable enough to drop Dropbox. I think it's it's fine. Um, I don't think it's any less reliable than Dropbox at this point. And boy, am I going to get email for that? But the, um, but in my experience, it's been fine. Uh, but I do think there's features on Dropbox that you may need. A hundred percent. I use Dropbox all day, every day for work. 
but I did move our sort of shared folder between Mary and I, you know, household stuff, scans of kids report card, you know, just family stuff. I did move that into iCloud Drive. She was only using Dropbox to share that folder with me. And I wanted to like have sort of some real data in there to check it out. And it works great for that. I haven't had any sync issues or, you know, missing files or duplicated files or anything. But I do miss the control and and, and some of the features like uh, being able to you know, send somebody a link to upload something, like you said, or having really specific permissions on certain things. Like Dropbox is ahead in these areas, but iCloud Drive has come a really long way. Now, talking about iCloud Drive is kind of like, like talking about Apple Care. Everyone has their own experience and all those experiences are valid because iCloud Drive doesn't seem at least in the past, to have been very consistent for people. It seems like some people always had great times with it. Other people had nothing but horror stories out of it. But I, I will say Apple obviously is committed to it. And I think they continue to, to work to make it better. Yeah, I, I just got an email from a labs member yesterday who's really heavily invested in DevonThink. And he's getting um, errors in the DevonThink sync process. Mm-hmm. Not from DevonThink, but from iCloud. You know, because iCloud isn't giving it the data it needs, so it yeah. pops up an error. Everything syncs. It still works. He says, I've had no data loss, but these little error messages drive me nuts. And I called DevonThink, and they said, well, just because iCloud doesn't give you the details it needs, if you want those yeah. errors to go away, you got to switch back to Dropbox. Yes. And he decided, uh, I think he's in the process of deciding he's going to be okay with the error messages. But, but it's just like that's the kinds of trade-offs that show up when mm-hmm. you get rid of Dropbox. Yeah. I have 172 gigabytes of stuff in DevonThink on Dropbox across 12 databases, and it doesn't even blink. It's so solid. Yeah. yeah. Jason, this was actually a question in the Max Sparky Labs, but I told him, listen to the next Mac Power Users episode because I'm not <laughs> the one to answer this question. But he's. Uh, I was talking in the labs about my beloved Mac SE, and and he he wrote me and said, you know, I'm thinking about getting some old Macs just to kind of play with. You know, he wanted to, like, run old software on them and just, like, you know, kind of go back to his past a little bit. And he's like, what, what's your advice? How, how should I go about getting one? And I'm like, I don't know, but I know somebody that does. <laughs> so, Stephen, uh, if somebody's interested in getting a few Mac, vintage Macs, and, and his statement was to play with them. So he's not looking to start a museum or, or collection. I think he's looking for computers that probably work uh what's your advice what a fantastic question and what a great hobby to get into i i definitely encourage this um i mean i'm sure that that jason has sort of a wish list of some things that he would like to have for me when i started collecting the first sort of collection mac i had was my g4 cube it was actually a gift from a family friend but there's always those those machines that everybody wants but you may also have machines that are sentimentally important to you. So for me, the Titanium PowerBook, sort of the first Mac I was able to use as my own from a job, uh, super important to me, sort of emotionally. Um, a good friend of mine who uh, unfortunately passed away a couple years ago, I have his 12-inch PowerBook. His partner gave it to me after he passed, and I will have that machine as long as I live. Like I have this, it's an attachment to my friend. So have your shopping list. I would say that the market for vintage Macs, particularly on places like eBay, is just out of control. Like, do not, <laughs> do not spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a Performa. Like, don't 
don't do it. Really, if you're looking to start places like Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist or other sites like that, some uh, some communities have things like FreeGeek where like it's, it's tech recycling. There are much less expensive places to find Macs. Now, you, you're not going to find probably like a Mint Apple IIe on Facebook Marketplace. I mean, you might, but probably not. Some things you will have to go to, to bigger marketplaces for. But don't think that eBay is your only option because this thing has happened and it's really in the last several years where that market has just really gotten out of control and you can spend way too much money on something. So be mindful of that. There are more options than eBay. Um, In terms of having these Macs, there's always some basic things you want to make sure of. And, you know, even you don't have to be like a, a technician but, you know, open an old Mac if you can before you start it. If it has a CRT, make sure you know what you're doing so you don't get zapped by a CRT. But say you have like a, a desktop Mac, you know, open it, make sure it's clean inside, make sure no capacitors or resistors or, or any small components look like they're bulging or leaking. And 100% of the time, replace the small clock batteries. Uh, it may be a little... Uh, like a watch battery, like in the AirTag. Older ones use, I forget the number, but it's a battery. It looks like basically like half a length AA battery. When those things leak, and they will, it will eat through the board and destroy the machine. And so even if you're just going to play with it for a little while, then have it on, on a bookcase, either replace the that in, that small internal clock battery or just remove it. Um, that's really the best thing you can do to make sure you don't cause long-term hardware problems. And then after that, Uh, In terms of software, I would look at places like the Macintosh Garden, which has been up and down in terms of being online in the last several weeks, which is a little concerning. But it's Macintosh, um, MacintoshGarden.org. And there are just loads of old software that you can download uh, from old OSs to games, all sorts of stuff. Uh, Oregon Trail, second most popular download after Age of Empires 3. And before Age of Empires 2, I agree with that ranking. I think that's pretty good. Um, all sorts of stuff you can play with. And uh, you can you can get into the world of like, again, depending on how old your machine is, replacing the internal storage. So there's projects like Blue SCSI, which is a little board that you plug into where a SCSI hard drive went and you can basically use an SD card. And that is an awesome way to get files on and off vintage Macs because you don't want to put even if you could, you probably don't want to put a really old Mac on your network. I actually at times have had like a separate physical network if I'm like putting an OS 9 machine on the internet for something. You don't want to do that. Uh, but if you have like a, a more modern Mac, like maybe you're looking at something in the early Intel era or the PowerPC era, uh, you can also get boards that let you go to an SD card slot from IDE or SATA or something like that. Because you may get an old Mac that's like not booting and it's probably just a hard drive, right? They're mechanical, they fail. After you make sure the rest of the hardware looks okay, you can replace that hard drive with something that's quieter, more energy efficient, and way faster, and you have a much nicer experience. Uh, the last thing I'll say is if you're looking for one Mac to hit a really wide variety of OSs, I would recommend the blue and white Power Mac G3. Uh, the early ones will run 
uh, I think Mac OS 8.6, if I'm correct. I'm doing that for memory. So um, I believe it will run a version of Mac OS 8. And they will run up through, I believe they'll run up through Mac OS X Tiger. So a really long span uh, supported by that machine. Uh, there are a couple of revisions of that machine. The revision B is what you want. Um, that was in June 1999. There was like a there was a little issue on the board. Both are fine, but if you can find a revision B, it's a little bit better. But yeah, Mac OS 8.5.1 through Tiger. So if that's kind of the era you're interested in, Power Macintosh G3 Blue and White is totally what I would go for go for first. And you can hook it up to like a USB keyboard and mouse, and a relatively modern display without having to jump through a bunch of hoops. I, you know, you have so much knowledge on this. I was just thinking you really need to do like a blog. I don't even think a blog post, like a blog page on. So you want to buy a vintage Mac kind of thing. You should do something like that. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Cause that, that is good information that I don't think it's out there. You know? So anyway, thank you. And on behalf of Jason, thank you. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Ecamm. Go to ecamm.live for a powerful streaming platform for the Mac. Try it free today. Ecamm Live is the leading video production and live streaming studio built for Mac. Ecamm does all aspects of video, not just live streaming. It's perfect for simplifying your workflow. It's easy enough to get started quickly, but powerful enough that you can create just about anything with video. You can do it all with the Ecamm app. Streaming has always been a bit of a black box for me. I never really understood it or the best way to go about it, but I've been setting up Ecamm to use in the Max Sparky Labs. I think the idea of streaming is something I need to do, but I didn't want to take all the trouble to set it up. I'm setting up Ecamm now, and it's really easy to get started streaming with Ecamm. Multiple streaming platforms, multiple cameras, whatever you need, Ecamm just has it built in for you. Whether you're streaming, recording, podcasting, or presenting, Everything's there in Ecamm, including support for multiple cameras and screen sharing, and a live camera switcher lets you direct the show in real time. So you can stand out from a crowd with high-quality video and logos, titles, lower thirds, and graphics. You can share your screen, you can drop in video clips and bring on interview guests, and even use a green screen, and so much more. Ecamm Live does it all. Their members are entrepreneurs, marketing professionals, podcasters, educators, musicians, church leaders, bloggers and content creators of all kinds. If you've been curious about streaming at all, this is the place you want to go. You can get one month free today at Ecamm Live. That's E-C-A-M-M dot live using the code MacPowerUsers. So that's a whole month free at Ecamm dot live with code MacPowerUsers. Go there now and check it out. And our thanks to Ecamm for their support of the Mac Power Users and all of Relay FM. The Vision Pro approaches uh, we're uh, about a week out from them showing up as this episode comes out uh, we spoke last week on more power users we actually recorded that basically right after we pre-ordered um and we have some more information but how are you feeling about your pre-order how's that sitting during the last segment i was thinking will there be a day when people go on ebay and say i want to spend a hundred bucks on a vintage vision pro <laughs> Oh yeah, I think that's definitely true. <laughs> yeah, the uh, but uh, so I, I actually when I first bought it, I felt very leery. I I've never felt that way buying an Apple product before, but this is one 
where it's not clear what the story is. It's not clear what the software is. It's a lot of money. But now I'm kind of more at the stage where like, okay, I'm going to spend the money. I love Apple stuff. I'm going to go down this adventure and let's see where it leads me. And, you know, maybe I'll hate it and return it. But I mean, is that really going to be the case for me? Probably <laughs> not. And, and uh, I want to see what I can do with this thing and how I can make it a productive tool. But, but the, uh, I, feel, I actually feel better about it now. I do too, I think. <laughs> but it is weird. Like, it's just weird. Yeah. I mean, part of it is, you know, waking up at 4 a.m. to buy it, you know. <laughs> but the, uh, but I, I don't know. I just, I feel more positive about it. And, and I don't have a good reason for it. We haven't had any more real news about it. It's, it's, it's surprising how little Apple has shared about it, which just supports my theory that this is almost like a beta to them. It's like, let's put a bunch of them out there and see what people do with it. But we're not going to try and create, you know, demand for millions. We can't even make millions of them if we wanted. And um, it's just a weird launch. It's just, you know, it's just different. We do have a little bit in terms of specifications. That page went up the same time the pre-orders did on uh, last Friday. Some of the stuff we knew, we knew the battery was going to be about two hours of general use. Of course, the battery pack is external, which we'll get to when we talk about the weight in a second. Uh, if you're watching video, it's about two and a half hours. So uh, this is really true across a bunch of different Apple Silicon where they have hardware dedicated to like video decode and encode. So watching a video is more energy efficient than just like general computing. So I wasn't yeah, surprised by that difference. Yeah, me either. But two and a half hours is cutting it pretty close. Like you're not going to get through every movie on one battery pack. And as far as I know... There's no, there's no like internal, even like a little bit of battery to hold you over. Like the th you got to shut the thing down, swap the battery and then power it back up. Now, if you're watching a movie on your couch, of course you can run it plugged in. It comes with a, you know, long USB-C charge cable and a 30 watt, uh, power adapter. But if you're on a plane or someplace without a, a video, the battery life may be a bit of a bummer on the first one. Yeah. Although they do sell a separate battery. If you want, you can have two. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think about the, the decision to, to make the battery separate from the device? I think it's hugely important because of the, the weight of the battery. So the battery is 353 grams. And the headset, the Vision Pro itself, is between 600 and 650 grams, depending on exactly how it's configured. So you're talking about adding another 50% of the weight to it if the battery was built in. Now, it's an elegant and like you have a cable to deal with, and I'm sure they don't want to do it. But I think from a comfort perspective, they had to, and I think that's a really good um I think that's a good trade-off. Yeah, and and they always have to make affordances when they get into these product categories to yeah. to make them work. And this is just another example of that. Uh, I'm not too bent out of shape about it. I I think that the way I'm going to use it is going to be primarily in my. I have a little chair in my studio that I think I'm going to sit in there and use it, and then occasionally at my desk in front of my Mac when I want to virtually put my Mac in space or whatever. So I I don't really think I'm going to be far away from power. 99% of the time I'm using it. Yeah. I do. I'm a little bummed that it's two and a half hours. I feel like 
because they're making such a big deal out of this as a thing to watch movies on, like laying in bed or sitting around on the couch and watching a cool movie on it, I think you need three hours. And I'm sure they really wanted to get there, but, you know, trade-offs are everywhere. I also can't help but wonder if they had gone with the M3, if they could have squeezed a little more out of it because of the process shrink from the M2 to the M3. This does have an M2 processor and then the R1, which is basically the real-time processor for all the video stuff, so you don't get motion sickness. Yeah, yeah. I can't help but wonder, like, if they could have done the M3, could they have gotten a little more out of it? I, I don't know. Clearly, they could have made a bigger, heavier battery. I think we don't know the watt hours of the battery. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't, but I don't think it's the 99 watt hours that keep you from uh, having it on a plane. So I expect that it will get better, right? The, this is what they do. I mean, think about the original Apple watch uh, yeah. that, that battery life was pretty bad and it's gotten pretty good. This will improve, but yeah, it feels like it's a, it's on, it's on the short side. Yeah, if I was in charge, I think I would have been tempted to nudge up the battery enough to get three hours of video. That's mm-hmm. all. Um, but again, it's not that big of a deal. I feel like I could plug it in too pretty easily, so I'm not too worried about that. Uh, the The other thing about the battery life is the weight on your head. Like, are you going to put you know that much weight on your head for a long time? I I think that's naturally going to get you to take it off even before the battery dies. That weight of the headset, it's interesting. It's basically the same as the 12.9-inch iPad Pro. It's like, you you can kind of feel what it's going to be like. Yeah. I have a little concern about the weight just because a lot of the later hands-on have mentioned it. But they've got that second strap to help go over the top of the head. I'm just, I'm very curious about the comfort of this because... If you don't get it right, people aren't going to want to wear it. Like, that's just how it is. And yeah, unlike the watch, like, well, obviously there's a weight difference. It's on your wrist, not your head. But, like, say that the, the watch band you got wasn't comfortable for some reason. Like, you didn't like the rubbery one, so you switched it out to a cloth one. Like, that's not a big deal. But you can't make this thing weigh less. It is what it is. And they have those different straps. And I wonder if there'll be third parties that come out with straps as well. But that's something I think worth keeping an eye on in the early days is how people feel about that. Yeah, I, I'm, I think everybody is going to have their own choices. But I know for me, I suspect that the, the solo knit, the one that's in all the images, is the one that's going to look cool. And the dual loop will be the one I use, right? Because just think about it. The solo knit has no support over the top of your head. So the only thing holding it to your face is the tension between, you know, the rubber band, basically, between the back of your head and the thing sucked to your face. That can't be comfortable for a long time. Mm-mm. Whereas with the one with the loop over the top, then you've, you're supporting it with the top of your head, too. So I would think that would be the comfortable one. Like, that, that's the one people are going to use. But, but, you know, we're going to find out once we get them. Yeah. I wonder if a bunch of Vision Pro users start buzzing their heads because their hair gets all messed up from these bands. Yeah. yeah. Be like, or like, what if your hair gets tangled in it and you can recognize Vision Pro people because they've got like a bald spot across <laughs> the middle of their head? <laughs> <laughs> like a. St- oh, you too? Yeah. Yeah. I got the Vision Pro. Yeah. I got too. the Vision yeah, Pro. I get it. I got the Vision Pro. Yeah. The, um, 
The, the one concern I have at this point is it seems like the last push on the product seems highly focused on consumption. I, I watched the, um, the video again, the, the tutorial video, and I'm glad they did this. They did the same thing similarly with the iPhone before it came out where they're just showing people what the product is and how it works and what it does. And they did it really great because they had the, the product manager like showing a guy who had never worn one before. Maybe he's an actor, but I thought that he did a good job if he is. But the um, but it was just kind of fun to see someone going through the experience. But so much of it was like, oh, look at these pictures or look at this movie and like look at these panoramic photos and, and you know, look at the dinosaur and all this stuff is consumption. And at one point they're like, all right, now they, they move them over to the desk. Now we're going to do productivity. And they, if you watch the video, he, he pulls up the email app and he pushes it to his right and then he pulls up his music and he pushes it to his left. And then he puts up uh, the browser and a really big screen in front of him, but then he doesn't do anything. <laughs> like, see, you can be productive. Well, all he did was open his windows. I haven't seen him do anything with this. I haven't seen him write an email or, you know, do the things you do when you're productive. Right. So, and, and like, I don't know. I, I just don't know if there is a productive sto- productivity story or not. And I don't feel like they've done a really good job of, of, of demonstrating it. The software story it does not really support productivity. Although I'll tell you the thing that keeps landing with me is the idea of these environments and being able to, to remote control my Mac in an environment. That seems really appealing to me and that might be enough, but I don't know. I just feel like the productivity story is kind of, uh, kind of vague at this point. I think so too. And I think, there's two aspects to that. There's obviously the software titles. Like what, you know, if your productivity tool is not there, it's not going to be a productivity device for you in that way. But I am so curious about what the inputs are like. You can use a Bluetooth keyboard. There is a virtual keyboard. You can look and tap with your fingers. But what is that like in practice? Like if I'm sitting down to go through my task list or go through my inbox, like how efficient can I be at that? How comfortable is it? They're all unknown questions. And I think the answers will vary person to person, but if it's not, if that, if those inputs aren't good or if it's way slower than just doing it on your Mac or doing it on your iPhone or your iPad, then it's going to struggle as a productivity device. I think. Well, I mean, add to that the fact that the Apple apps are not native. I mean, most of the productivity apps are compatible, like their iPad apps that are being displayed in Vision Pro. I don't know how that missed, like, as long as they've been working on this. How is Reminders not a native app? And, like, we were talking earlier about OmniFocus. I mean, they did the Swift UI transition for a reason. I would not be shocked if OmniFocus is a native app on Vision Pro before Reminders is. And that's kind of shocking, right? It's Apple. <laughs> I mean, it's their thing. And if they want people to adopt it, how come they haven't? And uh, I don't know. I To me, that that whole thing is a big question mark. Yeah. For me, when I look at, at what Apple apps are in compatibility mode, which basically just means they're iPad apps, how is Maps, which already has a bunch of really cool AR and 3D features, how is it not there? I, I don't. I, I literally do not understand it. it. It really blows me away. 
I mean, Freeform, I think, probably started life as a Vision Pro app. You know, I mean, yeah, that's a native I, I could, one, I could buy know? that. And, uh, but, the, uh, but these others, I just, I don't know. I mean, there may be a really good reason. We never know. Like, it's easy as podcasters here to take shots, right? And maybe there's a really good reason. But it just seems weird that this new platform is coming out, and they want everybody to move over to it, but they haven't moved some of their most important productivity apps over so i i just i don't know what to say to that yeah it's it's definitely strange and and in general the third party app story there there just hasn't been much on it which kind of goes back to this idea is this kind of a beta release are they going to see what we do with it and then like is is the real product going to be the version two yeah i don't know i I do wonder if some of this stuff is a sort of a side effect, I guess, of Apple's internal secrecy. Like, is the reason these apps aren't there because those teams didn't know about it until recently and that they will come online pretty quickly? Or is it that, you know, they just didn't have or didn't put the resources towards it? I just don't know. I'd love, I would love to know. Yeah. Yeah. And you probably will never know. I probably will never know. (laughs) Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it, but it does, it does make the product, I think, worse at the beginning. If those things are basically stuck in an iPad window. Well, it, it, the thing is, is the expense, right? We want to spend thousands of dollars, which, you know, back in the day was what we spent on computers. This is not, I, I remember a day when $3,500 was about what you spent when you bought some kind of new technology, but, but now it's not. And and like, so I want to feel like I'm getting use for my money right away. And I want there to be good apps for me. And I just don't know. You know, it's just not clear. Hmm. Uh, like even just the idea of writing on it. Like, I don't know. I haven't checked with Greg. Is drafts going to be a native app or is that going to be also just a compatibility? App? Yeah. I mean, or, or so, even a compatibility uh, app. Yeah. It may turn out where this is like Apple Silicon iPhone, iPad apps on the Mac, right? Where some developers have turned it on, but some some developers have gone there and disabled that because they think it's a bad user experience and they'd rather not be there or not have to yeah. support it. And that would be a big bummer too. Yeah, yeah. But I, uh, but there's a part of me, man, that would love this to be as amazing as Apple talks about it. Oh yeah. Know? I'd love this to be transformative. I'd love to spend a couple hours a day doing work in there. Like they would have standing up with a, with a 12 foot long freeform board that I could interact with seamlessly and like develop ideas over time and then push a button and have it disappear from my studio, but then come back when I need it. That kind of stuff is very exciting to me. So, so we'll see, but, but it, it just, you know, I'm not getting the good feels right now because I'm not hearing them. I'm not seeing productivity examples. I'm not seeing a lot of apps, you know, the stuff, the, the, the pieces I need to do that stuff don't really seem like they're there yet. Yep. I think that's fair. And I mean, definitely don't hear what we're not saying. Like these are concerns that we have, but I don't, well, we're neither of us are saying that this thing is doomed or that Apple's blown yeah. it. We just, we just have questions. And part of that is inevitable when Apple hasn't really told the story of this product very clearly. And, and neither one of us have ever worn one. And, nope. you know, I, I and like, there's always this thing when Apple enters an existing market where they come up with solutions where you're like, yeah, it should have always been like this. Right. And, 
um, recently we had a family thing and I, I tried on another Oculus recently and, you know, then they hand you the little laser guns you put in your hand and you're pointing, you know, in virtual space. I was like, yeah, this all feels clunky when you know that Apple has a solution where you don't have to carry things in your hands. And I'm like, there may be a feeling when you put this on that like, this is it. Like, you know, now it's just a question of execution on the apps and stuff, but they've nailed the UI and I could totally see Apple doing it. That's frankly why I'm so excited about it because I always feel like they redefine a platform when they, when they go at it. Oh yeah. And I hope this is the, the case too, but, but I, I also, with this much money, I feel a little bit of pressure that I, I want this thing to be useful and, um, and all the pieces don't, I don't know. They're, they're just not there yet. They haven't shared them. Um, maybe just the Mac thing is going to be enough. Like I said earlier, like to be able to be on the moon and just work on my Mac. I think they're, my brain could get tricked into thinking anytime I'm on the moon, I do really good work on something that's hard for me to do. Otherwise I, I could see this working out, but, and, and overall, like I said, at the beginning of the segment, I'm more excited about the purchase now than I was right after I made it. Um, but you know, we're still a few days out as this show ships. Uh, just to let everybody know, we are not going to do an episode because uh, the Sunday episode is just two days after the thing. Yeah, it's not enough time. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't want to do a hot take episode. So that'll be a normal episode. But the week after, all about Vision Pro. So we'll, yeah. we'll have lots of thoughts for you after the both of us get to spend more time with it. Um, so we, we've hinted at a few apps that may be coming. Uh, Mac Rumors has a good article on some of the apps that are confirmed to be showing up. Um, but maybe we should talk about the apps that are not coming. Yeah, there's there's been stories, uh, companies like Netflix and Meta and some other big uh, streaming apps are not going to be on the Vision Pro at launch. Uh, Netflix has said they're not even going to do their iPad compatibility thing. You're going to be stuck in the browser. I, I know the timing of this is is right in line with Apple's whole deal with the changes in the U.S. App Store where you can yeah link people out to the web but then apple wants 27 percent of that money and like i think apple's gone through a lot of goodwill when it comes to some of these uh big companies and i can't help but shake the feeling that apple's uh kind of you know dealing with that now that some of these stances apple has made over the years have kind of come home to roost and that the vision pro is kind of caught in the middle a little bit. And I'm sure these companies yeah. do have questions about is this a big enough platform to justify the development expense? But if they can also kind of stick it to Apple's new thing, uh, I, you know, I could see them liking that too. I mean, it is a question for some of these companies like, do we want to help them make it a big platform so they can put the screws to us again? You know? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I don't know uh, what all the politics are in that. I'm sure the, the Vision Pro people want it all the apps, you know, and they, oh, want of course, all, yeah. I've, I would imagine nobody's more upset about reminders, not being native than the people working on the vision pro hardware. Right. I mean, yeah, come on guys. Um, and, and, you know, we, it's very easy to assign an identity or personality to a company like Apple, but in reality, Apple is thousands and thousands of people yes. with differing opinions. And don't forget that either way. Yeah. It's, it's odd. Like Netflix not being there. It's like, how did that happen? Like yeah. Netflix is such an important consumption app for a lot of people and Apple wants us to be a consumption device. How, how did they not work that out? And yeah, um, yeah customers lose in this fight more than anybody. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's not very like Apple, honestly. 
Yeah. You know, I can't watch any shows with a dog in it because my dog watches all TV with us and she doesn't care about anything on TV unless there's a dog and then she completely loses her mind. And uh, I was thinking, well, this will make it good for me to watch shows that have dogs in them. But now if it's a Netflix show that has a dog in it, I still can't watch it. Uh, we, uh, our dog has a thing. Maybe yours does too. When a doorbell rings on a TV show, she thinks it's at our house and gets very excited. Uh, (laughs) that one doesn't bother her, but it's just shocking to me. Like that she sits there. Like when we're watching TV, I'll look at her. She'll have like one eye open at the TV. Yeah. And I feel like every frame she's like, is there a dog? No. Okay. Is there a dog now? No. (laughs) How about now? No, there's not a dog now. But as soon as a dog shows up, she leaps up and like barks at the TV. Well, the other thing she does is she wants to go outside afterwards and she runs around the corner of the house behind where the TV is. So I guess she thinks it's a window. Oh, and there's a, yeah. There's a dog. There's people that do shows for us outside the window all day. And occasionally they bring a dog into her yard and that's not acceptable. So there you have it. Dog's life. It's the best. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by We Got Your Mac, your guide to Mac adoption at scale. Tune in for expert insights from SHI, Apple, and around the business world. Do you remember those old Apple commercials, Mac versus PC? They were so awesome. But did you know that the debate continues to rage today in the enterprise? In fact, some analysts speculate the Mac will be the dominant business endpoint by the year 2030. And that's where today's sponsor comes in. We Got Your Mac is a new podcast from SHI, and it's here to help business leaders navigate the fascinating, ever-changing world of the Mac and the workplace. From debunking security myths to attracting talent and overcoming adoption pains, you'll discover the ups and downs of delivering the Mac at scale. New episodes of We Got Your Mac stream every two weeks feature interviews from experts at Apple, SHI, and from around the C-suite. So what are you waiting for? Make 2024 the year that your business puts an end to the old Mac versus PC question. Go to wegotyourmac.com or search for We Got Your Mac wherever you get your podcast or check out the link in the show notes. That's wegotyourmac.com to start listening to new episodes and download free resources today. Our thanks to We Got Your Mac for their support of Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. All right, time to talk about stuff we're playing with. Yeah, and uh, you you have a you have a sorted tale for us. I do. I've got a rare miss. Uh, we have okay. long praised Elgato's uh, hardware on the show, and uh, I did promise follow up on the a teleprompter. Uh, my follow-up is it's still in the box. I'm sorry. I, I will get to it. <laughs> it's been very busy. Um, but I picked up uh, their face cam pro. Uh, I've got a studio display and a MacBook pro wanted something nicer looking for meetings and, you know, the occasional video stuff I do. Uh, I'd been using a Sony ZV one with the cam link 4k, but I, I was thinking it'd be kind of nice to have something less fiddly. And I figured the face cam pro obviously will work really nicely with the prompter. And I was just really disappointed in the face cam pro. Uh, it's a USB-C camera. It's actually pretty big and pretty noisy. Like the focus motor on it is really loud, but the picture just wasn't very good. Uh, the colors were weird. The focus was weird. 
it looked worse than my old Logitech Brio, which was the 4K webcam I had in my studio display days. Yeah. I was just, I was really disappointed and, and honestly surprised because everything else I have from this company is really good. So bit of a bummer. So I'm back on the ZV-1 uh, webcam lifestyle and, you know, it is a little finicky, but it does, it does the job pretty well. Yeah. And the ZV-1 gives you a zoom so you can really set the, um, the, you know, the camera framing and, and you can tilt it left and right. The reason why I know that is because we have become an old married couple because I literally made the same decision about the same time you did. Um, <laughs> Uh, I had the ZV one up there for a long time, but like you, I had it on an arm and it was, it was kind of fiddly. And, and I do own the 4k Logitech for the, for the pro display that I always kept as like a backup. I used it for a while, but then it became a backup. I thought, well, wouldn't life be easier if I just use that? It's so it's smaller and easier to use. And I was doing some labs meetups and stuff. And the, the Logitech camera had a, was focus hunting for no reason. And then just deciding that, it didn't want to focus on me anymore. And it was like, and I'd put my thumb over it and it'd reset. And then later it would go out of focus again. And it's like, why am I fighting this? The Sony ZV one has a bigger sensor. It's just a better camera. I was all set to sell it. I had, was getting ready to, you know, put it online and put it for sale. I'm like, this is dumb. I'm taking the can this, uh, this, uh, Logitech down and putting the good one up and I'm not going to think about this again. And I did it the same weekend you did. And then when you added this, to the outline, I'm like, yep, we're, we're an old married couple. Yep. <laughs> the other thing is teleprompter follow-up. I am a little disappointed in teleprompter um, hmm. for a couple of reasons. The first one I think is fixable. It's software. The software just continues to be janky. I, I did a, um, we're doing a webinar series for the productivity field guide. And I, I had it all set up this morning with a teleprompter. And one of my big use cases for it is to put the zoom window over the top of my camera lens. So you know, cause you naturally look at the people you're talking about on zoom, but they aren't necessarily where the lens is. And this is a really good thing, but every time I do it, I have to open up activity monitor and I have to force quit the Elgato camera app. And it's just sometimes for whatever reason, it just doesn't let me put the zoom window over there until I force quit the app and restart it. And I feel like that app needs work. Um, but I have faith in the Elgato people. They'll get it sorted out. The other thing, though, is I have a um, an issue with the appearance. If you have a light thing, if you put like a Zoom window with like the um, the participants on, that's a white background. Right. If you have a bright thing on it, it's a little milky. The you know, it, like it discolors what the lens sees, and that I've solved by just putting a dark gray filter over. There's a software, you know, that you can just turn down basically the display. So it's very, very, very soft and you barely see it. And then you you don't have that milkiness. And I think that just kind of comes with the territory of a teleprompter. You know, you've got physics involved, but, but I do wish they would get that software fixed. And, you know, it, I, I know I'm not the only one because I've seen YouTube people complaining about the same thing. The software just seems like it just doesn't really consistently work uh, for the kind of use I'm doing. Yeah, it's a bummer. So hopefully they get that fixed. But um, I still am a big fan of Elgato. I noticed, I think this morning, I got an email from them where they're now selling like sound absorbing panels. And I'm like, I bet the ones they have are really good. If that's something you're looking for, like that, if they are selling it, it's probably really good. I still have faith in the brand, but, but yeah. And honestly, these little tiny 
webcams with these little tiny sensors are just not going to compete with something like a ZV-1, which is, isn't that a, um, that's not a full size sensor, but it's pretty close, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a one inch sensor. So it's, it's big, it's a big sensor for the camera uh, body that it's in. Yeah. Well, my ZV-1, that's the only thing it does now. And I'm super happy with it. Um, Maybe in a future episode, I'll talk about my new pocket three but I don't think I want to go down that rabbit hole today because I have something else to talk about that I'm playing with. Oh, okay. What's, uh, what's going on? I am using spark mail, like under fire. Okay. Semi permanently now. I, I know you had been experimenting with this, but, uh, cause, cause you wanted the, the feature to have the ability to talk kind of behind the scenes of an email, right? With team members. Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, you know, in my review, I was noticing that increasingly I'm spending a lot of time on admin stuff. You know, it's like somebody buys a field guide, but they already have another account. They want to combine them. And those are little things, but they add up. And, you know, my, I I view my role at Max Sparky headquarters is to make stuff, not to necessarily be doing all that admin stuff, but I've been doing it myself because I'm a control freak and just I it took me a long time to get over that. And but I was writing it in these journals and then at in the new year I said, you know, enough is enough. I'm gonna find somebody to do this for me and I am not gonna do this anymore. And I'm just gonna accept that, you know? And uh so I did. And um JF, my editor, is now also the support person at Max Parkey, but but we needed a way to talk about email. And I, I consulted with Mike Hurley, who's been using Spark for that very reason. And I, uh, he, he said, look, it does a really good job of that. And it's not super complicated. You know, there are like online services that are a lot more expensive that, that do this too, but this is a two man operation mm-hmm. in terms of the support stuff. If it comes into my box, I push a button that goes to his box. If it's something like where they need something and I need to give him some instruction, I can write it. They won't see it. And that's all I needed. And it does that. I've probably run, we've now probably run a hundred emails through this process and it works. And and as a result, I'm, I pay $10 each for him and me each month. And it's, you know, it does the job, but as a result, I'm no longer using Apple mail because Max Sparky is my big mail uh, thing. And that's all in spark mail now. So that's pretty weird. Yeah, I bet. Uh, but that feature to be able to communicate, that way i mean it's it's so clever and it's really the only thing that does that i mean it's way better than like going to slack or iMessage or or, or you know god forbid forwarding an email then you accidentally send the internal yeah. thing back to the customer like it is yeah. really something that i think they do um it's pretty unique well another option i had and i thought about this was just give them the keys to the kingdom say here's the max sparky email just go through and do as much of it as you can and i'll deal with what's left yeah but that's not really, I don't really feel comfortable. I mean, I'm still a control freak, you know, <laughs> and I still want to read my email. Uh, but uh, the the process they make of assigning an email is literally one button. So it's super easy. And the more we do it together, the less instruction I need to give him because he knows once he sees, oh, this is that that kind of problem and he goes and fixes it. But it, we do have the ability to have that back channel if we need it. And uh, I think it's good for that. Uh, some other bits. Uh, Spark has a very opinionated email workflow. It feels to me, 
b- bizarrely close to hate email. You know, like hey had that like kind of thing where they have pins and set asides and things. And Spark has a lot of that. I don't know who came first, whether it was Spark or Hey, but they're very similar to each other. And I'm okay. I can work with that workflow. It's not exactly what I would want. And I'm used to my ability to Apple script my way through Apple mail. I like one of the things I miss, and this is silly, but like, I like to send people memoji responses. Like sometimes somebody writes me about something they did or whatever. And I want to send them a thumbs up. And with a memoji can be like a little Max Sparky with his thumb up, which mm-hmm. is an image, not a, not an emoji, but I can script that in Apple mail really easily. I can't get that to work in spark mail because it's electron and it doesn't like memoji don't drop into it. It just doesn't work. And like little things like that bug me, but it's not enough to give up on it because the problem that's being solved is so much more important. And, and and I am doing way less admin now, which is giving me more time to make more stuff for the labs and do better on the podcast and all that. So the it's it's working, but it did require me to switch email clients. Another thing that I've discovered is I kind of like AI tools in my email. Um, I don't use them frequently, but Spark has built-in AI. And for some of them, I they have uh they have like a uh, like a say yes and a say no button where it writes a reply for you when people offer me stuff and I want to say no kindly, it kind of can get me started on that. There's one where you can write a brief, like one or two sentence reply and then it like kind of builds it out hmm. and, and it does that. I don't use it with like customers. I feel like that's too weird, but for other things I find use for it. And then they have one where it'll just go through and grammar check and clean it up. Like when you write it and say, just go through and kind of clean it up. And like, sometimes you get a typo or whatever. And I find hitting that button. And um, so there is some space for my life in AI and email. And they've got that built in, which is nice too. Um, It's still early. I've only been really using it a month, but this is the longest I've ever stuck with it. And I've just kind of accepted that I need to for what I'm doing. Uh, But it's a, it's pretty nice. Yeah, the tools that you need as an individual sometimes don't scale when you add team members, right? Sometimes it can be fine to use a task manager or a notes app or something like that when it's just you. But when the team expands, you've got to reevaluate. That's that's what you've done here. And I'm glad you found something that works, even if some of the trade-offs are a little bit weird because of the technology behind the app. Yeah, and, and the fact is whenever you have to work with other people, the tools you have to adopt usually aren't as good as the tools you would use if you were just doing it on your own. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why I put this off so long is I just didn't want to deal with that problem. But then I look at how much time I'm spending. I'm like, no, I, I've just got to like, you know, I just got to do it. In fact, it, it's so, this was so helpful to me that now I'm wondering, okay, what's the other thing that I'm putting off that would open up a ton of time for me if I would just, you know, get over it and deal with it. And so that's like on my list of monthly questions to myself at the end of January. One other thing, you and I are journal buddies now. We are. Yeah. So just, uh, just this week, day one announced shared journals. Currently it's just on the iPhone and iPad version in addition to Android and the web. So it's not on the Mac app yet. I assume it's coming. It's just not there as, as of this recording. And it's pretty cool. So this is uh, basically you set you set up a shared you set up a journal. You tell the app this is going to be shared with so and so. They get a link and then you approve them. So it's kind of a double opt in. 
they are separate from your personal journals. Uh, you cannot take like a personal journal and like it will never be like shared to the shared journal. You, they're two separate workflows. But what I think is most interesting, and honestly, I really like the feature as we've been playing with it. If I add an entry to our shared journal, you can comment on it and you can give it a thumbs up, but we're not collaborating on a journal entry. You can't go in there and edit what I said about my day. Likewise, if you add something, I can see it. I can comment on it. I can give it a thumbs up, but I can't change what you've written. So in a way, it's kind of like a tiny little social network in there. And you can have up to 30 people in a shared journal. So if you wanted like a really private feed with, you know, loved ones or something or friends and everyone was using day one, it's a pretty good way of doing it. And all the features of the journaling stuff in day one are all there. So you, you know, all the metadata, all the stuff that we love about day one is all in those entries. And so this is, uh, I really like this. It's not something that I ever would have asked for. It never would have crossed my mind, but they've done it and they've done it really well. Yeah, I, I am immediately thinking about this. So we did a test one together, but Daisy is trying to journal more. And she said, well, let me get a year of day one and see if that's what I need to, to make this work for me. So we just got her a subscription recently. And like, I was thinking like, even like, cause her and I go to Disneyland. I, by the way, did you know that Disney adults is like a negative thing now? I had no idea that, that I'm part of a, a group that is much maligned. Huh? Yeah. It's a thing now like, Oh, these Disney adults, but I, I've been going to Disneyland for my whole life. So I feel like I, I, I predate that whole thing, but either way, uh, but we both go there sometimes. And um, I thought it'd be fun to have a shared one for our trips, like where we could both uh, add journals to it. And, and when she goes without me, she can add. When I go without her, I can add. But we can both enjoy seeing what the other person did and enjoyed. And I feel like that's the perfect way to kind of get her started journaling too. So uh, all, I'm all in with this feature. I can't wait. I'm going to set it up this afternoon. Yeah, I'd love to hear how that how that goes for y'all. Um my wife is not really, she, she journals, but not in the way that I do. And I, I don't know if I could make that stick in my household, but I really think it's neat. And it does distinguish them from what Apple's doing in a new way. Right? This yeah. is not in Apple's journal app. It has no concept of iCloud family or, or those sorts of things. And so I think yeah. it's a feature that they could, uh, they could build upon to stand, stand apart. Well, I mean, it's against the kind of whole grain of journaling in a lot of ways because I feel like a journal is a private thing. It's yeah. a place that you figure out. That's that's where I figured out I needed to hire a support person. And mm -hmm. that kind of stuff is not necessarily for sharing, but there is a piece of it that could be for sharing. And uh, I don't know. I'm, I, I continue to be a fan of the day one team and what they're doing. And I suspect that I'm going to continue to be using this app for a long time. That's another one. I was like, boy, I sure hope they get on Vision Pro because – I would like to create those entries with my voice sitting there in my comfy chair in the morning. You know, why not? I'd like to look at my old entries on the wall. It'd be really cool. Yeah. I hope they do it. Either way, we're the Mac power users. Feedback episodes are always so fun because we get to cover a lot of different things. Hopefully we, uh, we helped you out today on one thing or another. Thank you to our sponsors, ZocDoc, Squarespace, Ecamm, and we got your Mac. Uh, you can find us at relay.fm slash MPU. You can find the forums at talk.macpowerusers.com. And we'll see you next time.